Wherever you are in your adoption journey, we are a community centered around love, trust, and respect for the experience and opportunities that have made us families. We promise to share, encourage, support, and celebrate the day-to-day of adoptive mamahood together. I'm Liz. And I'm Sarah. And together, we are Two Adoptive Mamas. Welcome to Two Adoptive Mamas. It's Liz and Sarah here, and we are excited to introduce you to Kelly Mahler. Um, she is an occupational therapist and all things knowledgeable on interoception. I don't even know if I said that right. Interoception, interoception. We're going to learn about it together. It's going to be so great. Um, but I'm really excited for Kelly to come and share uh, her insights with you. She has extensive training experience for professionals, caregivers, self-helpers um, who want to learn more about this topic or learn more about it specifically to help the individual that they are, let's say, parenting, especially for our audience. So welcome, Kelly. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And, and I, I'm very impressed. Uh, you said the word right. It is interoception. <laughs> I thought so. Um, but I'm I'm excited to dive into that. But before we get there, um, would you be able to share a little bit about what you do? Um, and you know, I already mentioned you were an occupational therapist. So maybe how you do what you do focused on interoception and how you might be connected to the adoption or foster care community. Yeah. Um, like you said, I am an OT or occupational therapist by trade. I've been um, practicing as an OT for over 20 years now, and I've been working mostly with children. Um, I do have some young adult clients now as well. Um, interoception, I kind of, I feel like just stumbled upon um, accidentally maybe, um, but it has changed my complete uh, professional journey for the better. I operate so differently as an occupational therapist. I have also been on my own. Um, interoception journey, um, learning more about my own inner feels. So I guess maybe it's helpful for me to tell people what interoception is and how I came to be connected with that. Perhaps, uh, is that okay? Absolutely. Let's go for it. <laughs> okay. And then I can tell you why it has changed me as an OT, but, um, interoception is a sense within all of our bodies and it's how we feel internal sensations. So it's like, when we might notice a racing heart or, um, an empty stomach or a full bladder, um, or goosebumps on our skin, sweat on our forehead. We feel all of those sensations because of this sense called interoception and what scientists have told us and, and has have found in their research is that noticing those internal sensations like that racing heart gives us very important clues about our emotional experience and like exactly how we're feeling in any given moment or noticing that full bladder is what gives us information about how we're feeling in that moment and what we need to do to take care of our bodies. Um, and as an occupational therapist, I've always been focused on mental health and self-regulation in my pediatric clients. And I always knew there was something missing. Like my, my clients could memorize coping skills, but their parents were saying they just don't know how to put it into place in the moment. And I'm like, something is missing something. I know something's missing. So it was learning about this interoception piece, which made all the difference for a lot of my clients. That's amazing. I, so I'm curious, obviously this can, um, intersect across, you know, whether you are a foster family or adoptive family or a bio, but tell us a little bit how you initially 
got connected specifically for our listeners to the adoption and foster care community? Well, this um, topic, I didn't realize how um, it would resonate with the community. Um, We just, and this was something like, you know, I have supported adoptive families and foster families before. It's not my area of extreme like specialty, but um, this message I've just heard from so many families about how much this just speaks to their child's experience, to their family's experience. It just um, sheds light on sometimes mysterious observations, like, you know, just difficulty toilet training and you just know something is missing and every everything you're providing or like that um, emotional regulation we were talking about, you know, maybe they're having like big feelings and they just seem to come out of nowhere, but we just know something is missing. And so this topic has resonated in a much bigger way than I ever expected. Can you share Kelly? I mean, just going a little bit deeper, specifically how this might really intersect or be important for parents who are interacting with kiddos with trauma histories. Um, Because I think just like you said, within our community of adoption and foster care parenting, um, you know, we're picking up on the pieces. We learn about this cool thing. And then we have to try and figure out how trauma weaves its way into that narrative. Um, So tell us a little bit about what you know about that and maybe how a parent might see these two intersect. Love your thoughts there. Yeah. So this is um, a really big area of research right now, looking at trauma and how it impacts our interceptive experience. What we know from researchers is that definitely trauma derails the interceptive experience. And that can really look very differently for different people. Um, And um, I have to say, first and foremost, that we've learned a lot about interception over the last decade, but we have so many more questions than answers. So if we're thinking about early life trauma, specifically what we know about the development of interception is that many times, um, and this is really hard to generalize, but what we know first is that the caregiver relationship is how we learn a lot about our interceptive needs. Like, so if you think about day one of life, many of us are wired, born into this world, noticing discomfort within our bodies. What do we do when we're uncomfortable? as an infant, you cry, right? Or you alert your caregiver and hopefully that caregiver steps in and is attending to those, those needs. And, and that, that cry is an alert that's saying like something is off interceptively in my body. And so that caregiver steps in, meets those, those needs through co-regulation. And so through, depending on what type of early life trauma, what's happening is that many times if that caregiver response, perhaps, um, is not consistent or maybe not present, then we're missing out on some of that valuable feedback for that child to start learning about their own interceptive needs. Like, so they start to eventually learn like, oh, this feeling for me means I'm hungry. And oh, I recognize that when my caregiver feeds me, that feeling in my body goes away. And so there's a lot of dance between, um, caregivers and the child. So that child learns a lot about their um, interceptive needs. But I should also say that that interception differences are also present in children that have very loving co-regulation from day one of life. So that's where I'm saying like, we have so many more questions than answers. Um, We know that for some people with early life trauma, their interceptive experience is derailed. But then we also know that for some other children, they have such loving and amazing co-regulation and there's still something happening to that interceptive um, growth. 
Kelly, this is so interesting. And I think, like you said, this is an immense topic of research right now, more questions than answers. I'm curious before I go to the next question, um, that Liz and I wanted to ask, we we've talked about this before on here, and I guess probably we just didn't know the word interoception. Um, but there's this narrative among moms, like, you know, when we're talking about sleep training or different things and like cry it out and like, you shouldn't meet the need right away or whatever. Can you like at all, can you just touch on that? Like we don't, I know that's a whole rabbit trail, but I think sometimes, you know, in this community, we feel pressured to like do something a certain way. So what are your thoughts there? Okay. This is something that I battle with myself every single day as a mom. And I wish there was someone telling me the right answer. And I think it's just like, you know, we are the expert on our child. I feel like we know instinctively many times, like what our child needs, like, are they someone that really needs us to meet their need right away? And like, we, we were just talking about acknowledge and validate their inner experience. Like, cause that's going to go a, a, a long way in their interceptive development. Um, or do they need space a little bit from us for a moment to kind of work through some things on their own? So it's really hard, I think, to give a blanket parenting rule because every kid is so different. But what we do know is that whenever we can honor and validate our child's inner experience, it's so important. Um, and I'm just laughing because I, um, this just happened to me. I made a big, I caught myself in a parenting mistake just a few days ago. Um, my daughter, my oldest daughter is now 14 and she had been gone all day long. Um, she left for school. Like she's in high school this year. She left for school at like 6 30 AM and she got home at 9 PM because she had soccer and she got home and I'm like, it's time, you know, let's eat some dinner. And she's like, I'm not hungry. And I'm like, there's no way you cannot be hungry. <laughs> and I was completely invalidating what she was telling me she was feeling in her body because in my mind, I'm like, there's no possible way. Like you need to eat. I need to meet your need right now, you know? And so I had to stop myself and, and, you know, just check in and be like, okay, like you just responded that to that in a, in, you know, maybe a way that wasn't super validating. So I apologized to her and we talked through that situation. So I think, um, that's a big, that's a long way of saying I'm pretty clueless when it comes to the exact perfect parenting advice. I feel like you just touched on that old, like put a coat on I'm cold. Like you're like, just have to like navigate that, the, the you know, just because you want to meet the need or, or perceive that there is a need might not be what's going on in that little kiddo's body or heart. And so we need to like do a dance. I love the analogy of the dance. You have to like figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to shift to a more place of curiosity. So instead of yeah. like, you know, really labeling their experience, getting really curious, like, okay, well then tell me how you're feeling right now. Or, you know, it really depends on their age. Or I see your hands going like this. How do your hands feel right now? Or I wonder what that means um, for you right now, instead of saying you look frustrated. Um, so really shifting to a place of curiosity and validating whatever it is they're sharing. Hmm. So maybe um, this is a good segue for what you just shared, or maybe it's taking us in a different angle. I don't even know, um, but talking a little bit about um, the nonverbals, or maybe your child is not able to identify what's going on in the interoception. Um, and I, my suspicion is that then we're going to end up talking about co-regulation and I would love for you to just unpack for us um, how self-regulation, co-regulation attachment-based parenting, which is a huge buzzword for adoption and foster care um, parents, like how do all of these things relate and 
how can we overlap all of those perspectives onto interoception, excuse me, because some of our kids might not be able to articulate it. And I think a lot of parents might be like struggling in the moment of like, have I crossed the line? Have I not crossed the line? Um, Am I like projecting something on them? Cause I'm reading certain signs, but maybe that's not what's going on. We'd just love to hear your thoughts on those. Yeah, that's a really good question and very big. So if I've missed parts of it, please ask. Yeah, I know. Sorry, I talked too long. <laughs> really good. It was really good. Well, I think it's first of all important to talk about the difference between co-regulation and self-regulation. Like, you know, like co-regulation is that back and forth dance, like you mentioned, you know, where we're helping our child to meet their needs. We're being, we're attuned to them. We're watching their nonverbals. Like you're saying, we're making our best respectful guesses about what's going on inside. Although we never can be hundred percent sure, especially if they are not able to tell us. Um, so that co-regulation is us helping to meet their regulation needs when something is internally off within their body, whether it's a basic body need like hunger, or it's a, you know, emotional need, like maybe they're overwhelmed. Um, and that self-regulation piece is where they are, um, are able to, they start to be able to take care of their own needs. Like they're like, Oh, I have this feeling in my body. I know what it means and I know what to do about it. So like, I notice this empty feeling in my stomach. I know it means I'm hungry. I'm going to seek out a snack or um, get something from my parent to eat. Or I, 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 I notice this tight feeling in my chest and this um, tickly feeling in the back of my tongue, which is one of my clients right now. And he's like, I know this means I'm anxious. This is when I need to get my, like, you know, my, some of my coping skills and use them. Um, and so that's where that self-regulation process develops. And that is such a big push, especially in the schools. Like they're trying to push self-regulation, like, you know, the, the child will independently identify when they need a break or they'll end, independently identify when they need to get their strat one of their strategies and many of our kids are not ready for that place because of this interception they, they're not picking up on those body clues letting them know hey like something's off in my body like i i am feeling hungry or i am feeling overwhelmed so that we're back to that co-regulation then they need that co-regulation piece and um i think it, it's reassuring sometimes to some of the families that i support that when you are co-regulating you are modeling what your child is eventually going to need for self-regulation so you are still working on that self-regulation piece, but in the way that your child needs from you in this moment. Um, and in the, we always talk about how meltdowns are not a teachable moment. So we, we want to be modeling that co-regulation even outside of the, what we call difficult moments, right? So we want to be talking proactively about the way the body feels and what their body might need for comfort proactively. Um, And also a lot of body, we call it body talk for the caregivers, for inviting them to talk out loud about the way their body feels and saying like, Oh gosh, Oh, I notice a feeling in my stomach right now. Gosh, it's feeling really empty. Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to try to eat a snack and see what, what happens to the way my stomach feels when I'm eating the snack. So really modeling that process out loud can be really helpful too. I love that Kelly. And I'm just, I'm thinking now, if we shift a little bit, you, I appreciate how you shared that we're, we're modeling that. And so we're actively engaging in that way. Um, so from the parent perspective and in the day to day, kind of how could an adoptive or foster parent navigate interoceptive needs for their children in, in the day to day? 
Yeah. I think just embedding that, that body talk, like we were just talking about. So inviting the um, foster parent or the adoptive parent, um, any caregiver actually that's surrounding the child to talk out loud about the way their body's feeling, just to get that language out there. Even when a child is preverbal or they're non-speaking, we know that they are soaking in so much more than we actually even realize many times. So really just getting that language out there. But then also when that child is feeling safe and regulated, we want to invite their curiosity to their own body. So we love to, um, to work on building that interceptive connection with kids in playful moments. And we always think about moments that could potentially be evoking a stronger feeling in their body to help capture that attention. So like, for example, if we're noticing like the ways our hands are feeling, like when you're washing your hands, maybe they'll be feeling a slightly stronger sensation in their hands. And we can invite curiosity. Like, I wonder how your hands are feeling under the water right now. Or like if they're, you know, hanging from like playground equipment or holding onto a swing really tight, like just guiding their curiosity. Like, I wonder how your hands are feeling right now, hanging from that bar. Um, or like when they're clapping or playing in snow, like just really like simple moments that are already happening in your daily lives and just nurturing their curiosity, um, but doing so without expectation because um, we don't want to expect them to respond. Like, for example, they might not be able to tell us how their hands are feeling at first, but we're still nurturing that curiosity and saying, I wonder how your hands are feeling right now. Um, and eventually what we're finding is that kids are being more connect are they're becoming more connected to their body and a lot of them are able to put language to those internal sensations whether it's spoken language or non-spoken language so it's really cool to watch that growth happen I'll just chime in really quick to say um, we have tried really hard to do this with our kids, specifically our daughter, um, and she has now started to come back and say, do you notice, do you notice, and she'll like kind of fill in like whatever it was that we had originally prompted however many years ago we started that phrasing, and so that's how we kind of tell even like our babysitters or like our family, like you can use notice language, she might not be able to say all of it right away or whatever, you know, however we phrased it at the beginning, but it's, it was really cool to see her begin to actually piece all of that together. That it takes time. <laughs> it does. And I think that hopefully it's a bit reassuring. I know that, well, as a parent, sometimes I want a really quick fix. So, um, but also the time is so important because it can feel so unsafe for so many people to reconnect to their bodies, or if they were receiving messages, perhaps in the past that their inner sensations are not important to, to talk about, they might have a lot of inner confusion. And so we need to provide that space and time for them to feel safe enough to reconnect with their bodies and do it in their time. Um, and we hear this even from adult clients that the slower, the better with this work, um, which I know is not always easy when we're in a society where we want result, 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 but just knowing that that slow speed is going to get you the long-term results um, that are you know more beneficial. I love this. And I correct me if I'm wrong, Kelly, but I'm kind of thinking of this, you know, over a long period of time. And so for our foster and especially adoptive families, 
you know, some children we know have experienced a significant level of trauma early on in their life. Some maybe perhaps haven't, but our listeners can see me and I'm doing air quotes, but what we've learned and something we've talked about on here before is that not being with your family of origin is a trauma. However, developmentally, um, I'm thinking about our family, you know, our, our daughter is aware of her story, but like four-year-old aware. And so as she becomes more aware over time of, oh, well, that this is not the case for everyone's family. And, you know, that um, understanding continues to evolve, then we might see some, you know, dysregulation that could manifest. And so it might not be that you're experiencing it in the preschool age, but it could kind of manifest later on um, as your family navigates, you know, ongoing conversations um, about adoption. So I just, you kind of spurred that thought for me. And, um, I appreciate that, you know, you shared even your story with your 14 year old daughter and how, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's a marathon, right? It's not, (laughs) it's not a sprint. Yeah. And, you know, um, I was listening to some interception researcher and they're like, unfortunately there's no pill we can take. And it's all of a sudden just fixed and interception. Um, it requires for every single one of us, including our kids, it it is a daily journey. And some days we're going to be more connected and other days we're not some phases of life are going to be more connected and other times we're not. And so it is just this lifelong journey and it ebbs and flows. And that is all within the realm of like, you know, of, of human experience Mm, for sure. But then maybe an awareness of this creates less frustration. Like what am I doing wrong? Or why isn't this working? Or it shouldn't be this way. But if we have, you know, this, um, this understanding of how this is ongoing, then I think that's really helpful. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That that is one thing about interception that we hear from so many people. Like this just helps my kid make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I guess under there is a name, there's a science behind this. Like yes. it is it's just reassuring. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Kelly, um, can you talk a little bit about how a parent might be able to advocate for this kind of language or um support system in the schools? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your face. <laughs> I, yes, I am a school-based OT. That is where a, a lot of my work has taken place over the last 20 years. And so again, this is a, a really excellent question and one that probably doesn't have a straightforward answer. Um, the best response I can provide that I've seen work the best is just education because many times your child's school will not um, be familiar with this term interoception and really understand what it means and how it influences like quote unquote behavior or observable behavior. So really just that education piece um, needs to happen first because many schools might not be familiar with it. Um, And then slowly going from there and perhaps getting some supports embedded depending on your child's needs. I mean, it depends, but sometimes it's just enough to, like we're saying, it helps people understand your child better and understand why they're doing the things they're doing. Um, And other times they might need a little bit more support. Like, so for example, if they don't um, consistently notice their toileting signals, they might perhaps need like a scheduled um, bathrooming break, or they might not notice those hunger signals, then maybe they need um, some kind of support in making sure that they're eating on a consistent basis at school so they don't get quote unquote hangry. Um, So it's just, you know, really educating and shedding light um, and helping people understand your child the best. Yeah, I think you that message will 
resonate with many of our listeners. We've often talked about how to navigate the ins and outs there. So that's really helpful. So Kelly, you are a part of a lot of what I feel like is groundbreaking work here in research and just kind of revealing, um, this concept to families who aren't familiar. So tell us what you're working on now and kind of where our listeners can learn more about your work. What's really, um, you know, facing forward for you right now and your work on interoception. Um, well, one of the, the areas I'm really passionate about is um, putting evidence behind interoception-based supports and really figuring out what does work um, and what doesn't work. And so I'm doing a lot of this research with the occupational therapy department at Elizabethtown College in Pennsylvania. Um, and we've been studying the effectiveness of something called the interoception curriculum, which is like a framework that we developed um, so that there's a, like a framework that you follow when nurturing this interoception growth. And we've been having a lot of really exciting outcomes um, in a wide variety of children. We've done um, studies with neurodivergent child, children. We've done studies that uh, with children that have a history of trauma, uh, and we're finding some really cool outcomes in emotion regulation and also in the. This is where I think is so cool. Um, we've measured the um, relationship between what a child is reporting about their own interceptive experience and what a caregiver is reporting. And caregivers in our study are defined as either the school personnel, if this is if there are studies happening in the schools or uh, someone at home, if our studies are happening in the outpatient setting. And so through the work that we're doing, the interception curriculum, we're finding that the um, relationship between what the child reports and what the caregiver reports is more statistically aligned, which is really cool. So meaning these children are so much better understood by the people that are supporting them. And I, I personally feel like they're, um, that's a pretty important area um, to just be understood by those around you. That's amazing. That's really, really cool work. Um, is there anything that we should have asked but didn't um, as we kind of close our time together? Is there anything that you uh, wish we would have asked or some parting thing that you would want to share with our listeners today? Um, no, I mean, this is a big topic. So if you're really curious about it, we do have a lot of free re resources on my website if you want to continue taking a deeper dive. Um, and yeah, I just thank um, both of you for inviting me here. And thank you to all your listeners for um, your interest in learning about this topic. Yeah, Kelly, I think that the work you're doing is just going to resonate with so many. And um, I'm just excited that we can bring these topics and especially this concept to our listeners. I think it provides reassurance, like you said, that there is work being done and there's progress being made. And like you said, you're seeing really exciting results and we will link it up in our show notes, but for our listeners, Kelly, we were digging around your website, really exciting and awesome resources there. And it was neat to read about you and kind of um, the trajectory of your career and how you, you got to this place. And just, so thank you for the ways that you are serving and working with families and especially um, the children that you get to work with. So thank you very much. And it was just awesome to be here with you today. So for all of our listeners, until we meet again, remember you've got this mama. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode or know someone who could benefit from our show, the best thing you can do is leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're grateful to be hosting the two adoptive mamas podcast for a third season. Learn more about how you can support our ongoing work through our Patreon at twoadoptivemamas.com. As always, it's been fun. 
Until we meet again, remember, you've got this, mama. Mama.